Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hi, everyone. I'm Larry Wiesenek, the co-president of Cowan & Company, and we're recording this on the day before Thanksgiving 2021. By the time you hear this, uh, let me wish you a very, very happy holiday. I hope you enjoyed with your family and friends, however you celebrate the holiday. I'm here today again with my dear friend, David Erickson, senior fellow at the Wharton Business School. And we're gonna be discussing one of my favorite subjects, Cowan Investment Banking. There have been many changes over the past four years. And today we'd like to discuss everything that's happening now at Cowan and what we think will be happening next. So David, I'm gonna turn it over to you. It's been a bit of time since we last spoke. So I'm really excited to fill you in on what's been happening at Cowan over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Thanks, Larry. Uh, first of all, congratulations. You've been in your role now for four years at Cowan. There's been a lot of changes, both in the market as well as at Cowan. I know you've made some recent announcements. We're gonna talk about those a little later, but let's start by looking back quickly. What do you see as the most significant changes in the market? That's a great question, David. And to select one in particular is, is always risky. But I, I think I'll, I'll just start with the significant um, embrace of disruption in, in really almost every sector of the economy. One of the things that's changed, and certainly the pandemic helped to accelerate this, is that whether we think about some of the themes around sustainability, whether it's the role of AI and deep learning, whether it's just technology in general and moving from kind of software to where now it's about analytics and tools that are available, it's impacting every single sector of the economy. So when we talk about industrials, all of a sudden, you know, for 30 years, people talk about industrial tech. Now, um, you know, the, many of these tech companies are changing the entire space of the industrial landscape. Same thing's happening in consumer, certainly in healthcare, Every day, more and more healthcare solutions are being driven by technology, and we're seeing that both in the economy itself, but also in the market. The market is pricing in these changes, sometimes pricing in changes three, five, seven years down the road in the way they're valuing businesses uh, today. And so I, I would just say that the embrace of uh, disruptive change is probably the, the biggest, um, you know, modification since, say, when I started in 2017. One of the, obviously, another piece of that, and you started to talk about when you talked about sustainability, is the impact that ESG has had in the market over the last four years. Not to say it wasn't important four years ago, but in the last couple of years, specifically, it's gotten significant focus. And really, I, I think from an, both an investor's perspective and the issuer's perspective, it's really, if not the top concern or top issue, one of the top two or three. How has Cowan helped some of your clients think through those changes? So I tend to separate out uh, sustainability, uh, which is one theme. It's really the E, right? The environment part of uh, ESG. And then the other elements, which are the social and the governance. And the reason I say that is that uh, when we think about business plans and companies, there are entire 
you know, industries being uh, changed or, or or being created around solving climate change, and we're finding ways just in general to uh, make sure that we can do more with less resources. That is a huge investable theme. It's also um, true that there are enormous business plans attacking those problems. So it's not just an investment theme, it's a reality in terms of how businesses are being built. When we deal with the, the broader ESG, we start getting into elements that are about every company. So you know, not every company is gonna solve uh, the carbon footprint. They may improve their carbon footprint, but they're not business plans tied to sustainability, so to speak. But every business does have to think about their E, their S, and their G in some way. And that's where the S and G come in, which is every business, including Callan, is thinking about our social impact, um, what our governance looks like, are we doing the right things for our people, are we doing the right things in our community. And what we're finding now is that the, because they're lumped together at times, there's ESG ratings, what is a company's impact, there's uh, you know, internal focus on it at almost every company. And uh, I see them as somewhat, um, they're certainly united, but they're distinct. So when we talk sustainability, we generally are talking about businesses solving resource challenges. When we talk about ESG, we think about the movement towards all institutions um, understanding their responsibilities in society. And what I'm getting very excited about is two or three years ago, what ESG meant was, what are you going to stop doing? And it was a real push for, you know, there were ESG investors who would say, stop doing these bad things. ESG's now moved to, are you doing enough of better things? And I think that's a, a positive development. Uh, the one thing that we do focus on and make sure we're, you know, we, we, we keep our eyes out for is, uh, you know, companies or institutions that feel if they check the box by basically doing the things that a rating agency or others say makes you get the green thumb or the, blue, the, the, the thumbs up on ESG, that you kind of, you're making a difference. And I think that's just the, the prerequisite. And the real opportunity is businesses solving real problems in society and getting a great return for investors while doing good things for the community kind of the double bottom line or triple bottom line. And we're seeing more and more of that. And we're, we're very excited to be banking many of those companies that are, are double and triple bottom line type focus. I also wanted to speak about some of the developments at Cowan because you've, you've made some significant developments in the last four years as well. And more, more recently, you made some significant announcements in terms of investments in companies like PolySign and I guess a week or so ago, Hum Capital. Uh, and then your announcement yesterday with uh, the Portico Capital Advisors. Talk about those interesting commitments and talk about how those investments and acquisitions are strategic for Cowan and how that'll help your relationships with, you know, benefit with your clients. David, it's, it's interesting that you connect the Portico acquisition with some of our investments in PolySign and Hum Capital, because uh, while they're all investments of capital by the firm, they really fit under two different themes. And so the first theme would be our embrace of solutions outside of the walls of Cowan. You know, as a roughly, you know, 1500 person firm, <clears throat> you know, we don't have the same scale as many of our competitors. And there are times when that might be viewed as a negative because we don't have the same reach. On the other hand, I think it frees us up to think 
in a more open and collaborative way. We don't view businesses that are outside our walls that are solving core problems in the investment banking or in the markets as competitors. We view them as potential partners and collaborators. And that's true of both PolySign and HUM. Let me start with, with PolySign. Um, we really, about a year ago as a firm, made the decision that the movement towards the use of crypto was about a lot more than cryptocurrencies and is really about a digital assets and what's gonna happen over time with many assets becoming digitized. And then secondly, big changes coming to the way information shared on the internet where many of these companies, these tokens, these coins are actually fantastic sources of, or vessels for moving information and packages. And we, we see the future of uh, the internet very much aligned with tokenization. And so when you take that view, again, it was about, the, about this time last year, we made the decision that as a firm that is uh, always trying to make sure we're ahead of the curve and that we're working with businesses and ecosystems that evolve, we had to uh, significantly uh, increase uh, our energy around the crypto space in general. And PolySign, after meeting with many companies and many different entrepreneurs, um, we became convinced that the core business of PolySign, which is their standard custody, which is the independent custodian that, that is uh, registered with the DFS, that um, that would be a big part of how institutions decide to play in the crypto markets. Because uh, if you look at every other asset class, in institutional investors demand independent custodians so that they feel comfortable when they're dealing with a broker or an exchange that their securities are being stored somewhere separate from the parties they trade with. So that's what the reason we, we embrace PolySign. Uh, we're thrilled to be uh, significant investors there. And that really began in earnest uh, the build out of Cowan Digital and still in the early days of that, but certainly uh, you know, the custodian solution at PolySign standard custody will be a part of our institutional offering. And we wanna be on the early side of working with the top institutions and helping them and really listening to them as we've been doing now for the last nine months is listening to what they want out of a partner, a trading partner in the, uh, in the, in the crypto space and then delivering that for them. And so that's really exciting. A lot more to come over time on that front. Um, at the same token, like everything we do in, at Cowan, uh, we make sure we line up our businesses around the themes. So while we're doing that in the markets business, we've been building out our banking effort in the digital asset space as well. Uh, we've done, uh, we've already been a book runner on uh, you know, a number of Bitcoin miners, uh, and we have a number of other interesting transactions coming down the, the, uh, uh, the backlog. And we see the opportunities uh, within the digital asset and crypto arena as being very, very, you know, big uh, opportunities over the next, you know, one, two, three, and in, in following years. Um, so that's kind of the 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 opportunity in the, in the digital asset space. Hum Capital is a little bit different. Um, really going back to the days that you and I were together at Lehman Brothers, um, I've struggled with the question of why it is that investment bankers, whether it be capital markets whether it be coverage bankers, M&A, 
why you know the technology that we utilize to help us do business is basically just the 2020 version of what we were doing in 1995 spreadsheets you know uh, word and now you know the last 20 years email um and it, we're very very late adopters to the kinds of technology that have allowed the sales and trading businesses for example to continue to innovate and do more uh, every day you know every week that goes by every year that goes by there's an ability in the trading side to do better straight through processing batch processing etc so um, I've been looking now for a while, and we have here at Cowan, at partners who can help us accelerate the workflow and allow us to get to smarter decisions in a quicker way. And Hum Capital, with a very, very smart uh, AI and deep learning uh, um, set of, of products, is really a, uh, a source both for generating uh, private placement opportunities in a way that if you were relying on humans to do all of it, uh, they might not make sense. So think of it as like we have done in the markets businesses, um, you, know, you, you can't do low touch business um, unless you use technology. Hum Capital allows us to do low touch private placements as example. It also though allows us to very quickly analyze companies and determine whether we think they're good candidates for our banking services. And so we're using you know, machine learning, deep learning to help us with that as well. And our partner for that is Hum. And so we made that strategic investment uh, with them so that we can be on the cutting edge of what they're doing, but also be on the front lines with them in evolving the solution so that it fits our needs uh, for both, you know, who we are today and who we want to be in the future. And how about Portico? So Portico is, is a little bit different. Portico is um, a uh, investment or an acquisition that we announced that will close uh, hopefully by the end of the year. It's actually the third uh, M&A boutique that we've acquired in the last four years. And, um, you know, if we think about the way that we've grown our investment bank, what we've focused on is, you know, not exclusively, uh, but um, significantly is on how best to serve the growth businesses across the middle market. And generally, we've gotten there by trying to understand uh, where the economy is going, the kind of businesses solving the big problems and then making sure that we're lined up with that. And uh, when we think about uh, Portico, Portico is around what we think is one of the, the most uh, you know, uh, deep trends uh, in our economy, both here in the US and globally, which is the increased use of software and data. And when you combine software and data, that turns into analytics um, uh, to make better decisions. So just like I was describing what we're using Hum Capital for, um, you know, companies every day are thinking about solutions that bring together uh, software and data uh, for insights. And Portico has been the leading uh, investment bank, boutique investment bank, focusing on that sub area where um, they work across a number of, of verticals uh, where the analytical tools are critical to success and changing the industries themselves. So. Really excited. Um, it's a roughly 25 person firm. Uh, they'll be they'll fit really well within our existing TMT landscape. Uh, we have not been targeting the vertical software arena, uh, and uh, and they're going to get the benefit now of having a deep capital markets team, deeper M and A uh, toolkit, uh, and also all the relationships we have with the financial sponsors and venture community, which will allow them to put more throughput 
uh, you know, into uh, both their environment, but off also solving some of their clients' challenges with more, more solutions. So really exciting there. And it fits into our broader strategy. We, you know, we've grown uh, very, very quickly over the last four years through this combination of organic growth. So where we've taken bankers who might be in industrials and said, focus on the faster growing parts of industrials or consumer or whatever the, the group might be. But then also these acquisitions. And as I said, this is the third uh, acquisition in the last four years of M&A boutiques. So I know uh, this is all, always a time on Wall Street and, and elsewhere where uh, you know you reflect on this past year's market, but you're also thinking about well, we got to put together a budget for next year, and we got to think about what you know our business plan not only just next year, but you know not uh, the next 12, 18, 24 months. So as you are going through that process now and have been going through that process. What do you see as the big trends that you and Cowan will be focused on over the next 12 to 18 months? And then how should your companies best prepare for these trends or how the companies that you help best prepare for these trends? Well, we've touched on a number of the trends already. I, I, so um, I'll try and add some new ones to right. the discussion. But I think no question. Sustain, you know, the move of sustainability, every company's got to be thinking about that. Whether your business plan is to be uh, someone who is driving it or whether you're just dealing with it for how do I make sure my business is sustainable? That's not going away. It's only going to increase. I think um, the role of AI, machine learning, um, but I'll add into that robotics. Um, these tools that are changing the landscape, I think two or three years ago, people were saying they're going to take jobs away. They're going to eliminate humans. What we're seeing is the businesses that are actually really um, taking off in that space, what they're doing is they're finding ways to take the way that humans work, the way that companies do what they do, and make those individuals um, more productive by taking away the mundane tasks or the tasks that, quite honestly, a machine's better at than humans, and freeing up the the teams to focus on what they do best. And I think that's going to accelerate. I think that we're seeing now everything from what's happening in the consumer space and the way that, you know, take Amazon and think of the application of all the things they're doing with robotics and AI and what that means for everyone in the retail and consumer space. Um, I think those are exciting themes. I think that, you know, we are very focused on it. Uh, even trans the Portico transaction is a re one of the reasons we did that is if analytics become more important and are becoming more important, we want to make sure we can be banking companies uh, uh, that are in that space. But I think your your question was, how do companies prepare for it if they're not in that business? And I view it very similar to how you prepare for the growth of software, right? Over the last 25 years, every company has not become a software company. They've not become, quote unquote, an internet company, but they've figured out how to use those tools so that their business can be more efficient. And I see the same thing around uh, the movement towards AI, machine learning, deep learning, you, you've got to be um, a beneficiary of that. Because if you're not a beneficiary of it, you're not changing your business to adapt, you're going to be you know, on the other side and you know, you're going to be disrupted by those that embrace uh, these trends. I think the, you know, the other trend beyond uh, the continued growth of technological solutions, um, or maybe a more direct version of that is, I think the financial services industry 
um, is going to significantly change with fintech. Um, and we talked a bit, again before about a few areas there. But what's happening in digital assets and crypto, um, everyone has to have a strategy on that. Certainly financial services firms do. We're working on ours. Um, but I, I, we're going to be spending more and more time with our clients across every industry talking about what those two themes mean, kind of AI and robotics on one hand, and then on the other hand, um, the movement towards digitization, uh, particularly cryptography, and what that means is opportunities for their businesses. So um, we're getting ready for those. Great. I, you know, I'd love, there's a lot more ground. I'd love to talk more, but unfortunately, I think we've covered so much ground this far, we've run out of time. So thanks again. Look forward for our next conversation. Well, thanks, David. And again, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, the decision to have this call on what's roughly my, you know, fourth year anniversary uh, at, at the firm. And importantly, it also marks roughly 20 months since the pandemic. We, we've been, um, you know, unbelievably um, blessed in, in, in many ways that we were lucky enough to have prepared through technology and a number of other things that we did to be able to work from home at the beginning of the pandemic. And then the fact that we were lined up with sectors that really did benefit significantly from the embrace of the technologies that allowed us to all work from home. And that's everything from disruptive consumer right. to what we do in alternative uh, energy to uh, obviously electric vehicles, electrification, et cetera. So, you know, we've had our, our most significant growth in the last two years uh, and we're extraordinarily thankful of that. And so we think about, you know, where we are and how we're lined up for the future, which was really the, the premise, I guess, at the beginning of our conversation. Um, I think it's um, just appropriate that we're doing it at Thanksgiving because uh, certainly speaking for myself and all my other partners at the firm, we're enormously thankful for the hard work of our people. Um, you know, the, this transition, it's an ongoing transition. Uh, it, it, we're not going back to the office. We're, we're actually creating a new office environment, a new relationship between home, office, flexibility, et cetera. So really thankful for what our people have been able to do, uh, thankful for our clients for trusting us to help them navigate this difficult time. And um, really just want to wish everyone a, a, a you know, happy Thanksgiving. And because they might be listening to this between Thanksgiving and the holidays, a wonderful holiday and new year. And uh, same to you, David, uh, to your happy family holidays. and uh, happy holidays. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.